Good morning, everybody. We are going to end early today. Woohoo! But we don't want you to leave early. So uh, we have the, uh, as you came in, you saw some things set up, look a little different in the lobby. We call it our Connections Fair. And uh, we want you to take the time that you would have been in this room into that room and meet folks who are involved in ministries here at Hope Church. It's not all of our ministries represented by any stretch. We couldn't fit that all in the lobby. And we'll be doing this again probably uh, this coming winter. Um, but this is a number of ministries that are happening here. And what we want you to do is go and meet the folks who are at the tables, ask them about what the ministry is that they're doing, um, but also hear their story. Ask them how they got involved and what, what they like about it or, you know, what they don't like about it. Uh, but just, just talk to folks and find out. What we're really trying to do is get everybody here at Hope connected in. Church is not an hour on Sunday. That's worship. Church is what we do as a community of faith together. And last week I talked about how difficult it is to create healthy uh, churches, spiritually and relationally healthy churches, um, and how easy it is to tear them apart. And uh, so one of the ways that you help us build a healthy one is through your own involvement um, in, the, in the ministries of the church. So. Go on out there, check them out, uh, connect up with those guys, and uh, we'll give you some extra time to be able to do that. We are a church that has a vision of connections. We want to connect people to God, we want to connect people to each other, and we want to connect the church to the world. And we have a strategy, we have strategies for how we do that. And we describe our strategies by starting with the word we. We means you and me and us together, right? That's we. We invite, we connect, we grow, and we serve. And everything that we do, all of the ministries that we do, grow out of one of those ministry strategies. So we have a vision which is about um, where we're going. Our vision is about where we're going. Our strategies are about how we get there, and our ministries are about how we get there. But there's one other aspect to the church, and that is our culture, our culture. Our culture is who we are. So we're in a series right now, we're kind of talking about who we are. We've been talking, we are talking about five principles of hope. Those things that in part, at least, define the culture of this church. So we started last week, we were talking about uh, unity and how important unity was to uh, Jesus and how important it is to us. This morning we're talking about culture and I'm describing culture is it's about who we are. Uh, Cambridge Dictionary has a little more, uh, a little more wordy about culture. This is what they say the definition of culture is. Culture is the way of life of a particular people especially shown in their ordinary behavior and habits. It is the way that a particular group of people behaves and the habits that they have in the ordinary parts of their lives. That defines the culture. That defines who we are. And every church has a culture. Every community, every state has a culture. I first really kind of got 
an awareness of this when I was 18 years old. I was a Jersey guy. I grew up in New Jersey. My family didn't travel much, so my whole experience was New Jersey, Central Jersey at the shore. That was the culture that I grew up in, thought that was what everybody did. And then I moved to Oklahoma. And I, I used to say I felt like I was transported back in time. Like it was so different. The ways that they, you know, acted and talked. I was a Jersey guy. I showed up with my silk shirt and my platform shoes. You laugh, but I look good. And everybody there was in jeans and boots and talked a little bit slower, moved a little bit slower. You know, it was different. And, uh, and a little weird, I, I liked it. Um, and what was really weird is people there were nice. <laughs> I, I'm a Jersey guy. What I eventually discovered is they're just as nasty, but in a different way, <laughs> right? In Jersey, we're just quick to call somebody an idiot, right? Like, you're an idiot. Not in Oklahoma. And in Oklahoma, they would say something more like, well, bless her heart, she's just not very smart. <laughs> Sounds nicer, but really it's not. Different culture, right? So each state has a culture. Each region has a culture. Northeast, we're Northeasterners. That's different than the Southeast, different than the Southwest, different than the Midwest. The, the region we're in has a culture. We're Americans. America has a culture different than other countries, right? We have different cultures. And we need to understand each other's culture and respect it. There was a um, guy who was, uh, he, he came to church here for a couple of years um, from a different state, a different region of the country. And he and I would get together on a semi-regular basis. And um, one of his recurring themes when we got together was, man, I just hate the Northeast. I don't like New Jersey. The reason we were getting together was he was having a hard time making friends. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And I would say, you know, like maybe if you didn't hate so much on the Northeast and New Jersey, like I get that it's different, but maybe you need to figure out some things that are good about this place that you could, you know, chill on the hating on New Jersey thing. He doesn't come here anymore. <laughs> Not for that. He moved back and he's doing just fine. Sometimes the church is perceived like that guy. Like all the church ever does is hate on the broader culture. Right? All we ever do is criticize the broader culture and talk about what's wrong with the broader culture. And we miss how important it is uh, to not do that. Look, two quick examples from history. Uh, one, John Wesley. So in the uh, 18th century, John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church and was the point person leading the great awakening of that era phenomenal leader. But before all of that happened, he was a missionary 
wanted to be a missionary to the colonies and uh, specifically to Georgia. And one of the things he was excited about doing was trying to bring the gospel to um, Native American Indians, right? And he wanted to bring the gospel to those folks. And uh, so we have his journals, and what we knew that in writing in his journals before he ever got here, that he would refer to those people as savages. So how do you think he did? Not well. He got here, began to try to minister to Native American Indians, and pretty quickly began to write in his journal of them, these people are liars and thieves and murderers, and they are ignorant and have no interest in learning. How do you think he did? Not well. And he didn't last very long before he went back to England. Lessons learned. Fast forward about 100 years, now into the 19th century, uh, mid-1800s, a guy named Hudson Taylor, a, a guy from Great Britain who felt God calling him into the mission field, specifically to China. So Hudson Taylor goes to China and very quickly begins to embrace the Chinese culture. He learns their language, he begins to dress in Chinese clothes, he learns the culture and begins to, like I said, embrace that culture. And over a relatively short period of time, began to open up schools. Eventually, he, through his ministry, opened up 25 schools for, uh, for Chinese children to begin to become educated. They opened up 30 workshops where Chinese people could come and get a job and earn a salary because he cared about them as people. He brought over 800, over time, he brought over 800 missionaries, men and women, which was, which was different at that time. And the result of all of that was over 18,000 Chinese people came to faith in Christ because he embraced, in part because he embraced their culture. The church in general, over our history, in the church capital C, all churches, all Christian uh, churches, um, has taken one of four general approaches to culture. And I would describe them this way. Avoidance, immersion, or uh, to immerse in the culture. Um, yeah, so, I'm sorry, so to avoid it, to immerse in it, to try to impose on it and to influence it, or to influence it, so it's an either or kind of thing. Real quickly, let me go through what I meant by each of those. So avoid the culture, that's a separatist kind of mindset that says the world is an evil place, it's a dark place, we don't wanna be infected by it and so we avoid it. We stay away from it. Probably in our, in our current day, in our country, the, the uh, church that would embody that in the most profound way would be the Amish, right? So the Amish are Christian folk, but they want nothing to do with the broader culture. They're totally avoiding that and uh, have this little closed society, all right? Other churches do it in different kinds of ways, but it's an avoidance of the culture. Now, some churches, do more what I would call immerse. They're immersed in the 
modern or the current culture, the culture that they find themselves in, so much so that they, there is nothing that distinguishes them. There's nothing that says that they're different than that broader culture, that they have a different way, a different uh, method, a different priority or whatever, because they're so immersed in the culture that they look just like everybody else in the culture. The impose is those churches that try to impose Christian values, Christian beliefs, Christian ways of doing things on the culture. And they do this and have done this from, you know, through ancient history as well as in the modern history. They've tried to do it through the political process, through um, laws and ordinances, sometimes even using coercive methods and violence to force people to behave and to act like, to think like, to talk like what we think Christians ought to think and act and talk like. Okay. Never goes well. The fourth is to influence, to influence the culture. And that's what I think that we are called to do. We are called to be about influencing the culture. In order to influence the culture, we need two things. One, we need to be very clear about who we are. As followers of Jesus, we need to be clear about who we are and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because if we're not clear about it, then we have nothing to bring into the culture, nothing to influence others with. We need to know and understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that's why we do what we do here. That's why we have small groups and that's why we um, study the Bible and so forth so that we become increasingly clear and mature in our faith so we know who we are. So the first thing, if we're gonna influence the culture, we need to know who we are. You need to know who you are as a follower of Christ. And the second thing is we need to be intentional about engaging with the culture. We need to be intentional about that. The Apostle Paul did this with great effect powerful in the way that he did it. And he shares about how he did it in a really fascinating scripture. It's from um, the first letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. And uh, I want to read a piece of that to you and then unpack it a little bit. This is what he wrote. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles, I do not follow the Jewish law. I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessings. So here's Paul talking about his approach. 
What's Paul's approach? His approach is to find common ground with everyone. So what he was describing is all of these different cultures. He said to the Jews, when I'm with those folks, I act like that. And he's talking more, I think, at this point, about more secular Jews. Because then he says, when I'm with Jews who are under the law, who are living in obedience to the law, I do that. So it's, it's like today, he'd be saying, you know, when I'm with um, Reformed Jews, I act that way. When I'm with Orthodox Jews, I act that way. When I'm with Gentiles, I act like Gentiles act. What he doesn't say, but what we know is that every city that he ministered in was different, had a different culture, right? So Corinth had a different culture than Philippi, that had a different culture than Rome, that had a different culture than Ephesus. All of the cities had a different culture. And what he's saying is that when he was in a culture, he would try to find common ground with them. I think that's a great approach to the culture. So yesterday, I found myself at, a, um, at an event, a lot of people, and I didn't know, Marilyn and I uh, were at this event, and we didn't know anybody. And it was a luncheon, you know, so we end up at a table with other couples, we don't know any of them, um, and the guy sitting next to me is a talker, right? So I got a guy who's a talker next to me, which is fine. Um, and he's, you know, talking about, he, he had a lot to say about a lot of different subjects, and I found that I disagreed with everything he said about just about everything. And this is now, we're now 25 minutes in, and I'm thinking, this is the longest lunch in history. You know, and I'm trying to be nice, and I'm, you know, like, well, yeah, I don't necessarily agree with that, but okay. And, uh, but somewhere, 25 minutes in, it comes out that he's a widower. Had been married for about 25 years. And I began to ask a little bit about that and now dealing with his adult children and grandchildren and what that was like. All of a the sudden there was what? Common ground, common ground. And you know, I, I didn't win him to Christ but I had an opportunity to talk a little bit of faith with him. I don't know that I'll ever see him again, but it was just, you know, in the midst of this message I'm thinking about, and there it was, right? There it was, finding common ground. We as a church, we know that in our broader culture that people love Christmas, right? People in our culture, all around us, love Christmas. I have Hindu neighbors who decorate their house for Christmas better than I do, right? They love, they love the, the decoration thing. They love uh, the feel of it. They love the gift buying, they, the whole Santa thing. People love it. And it's fine. It's, it's fun, and so what we as a church said is, we know that about people in our culture, so here's what we can do. We've got a big tree and a big yard and a big parking lot. Why don't we invite all of our neighbors to come for like this kind of old-fashioned Christmas tree lighting thing? And so we have music, you know, that's familiar to them, and we have uh, homemade cookies and hot chocolate and... Um, you know, Santa shows up on the fire truck and so forth. And we're here, you know, to make that happen. 
common ground. And when they're here, we're saying, by the way, at the end of the month, we do this other thing, right? And we would love to have you come to that. And when you come, we're gonna make you feel welcome and comfortable and so forth, and we think you'll find it really interesting, and we do one that's geared to kids and one that's more geared to adults, and we would love to have you come. And you know what? We have eight or 900 people who come to our Christmas tree lighting. We have 18 or 1,900 who come to our Christmas Eve services. And all that happens in part because you help make it happen. One of the things you're gonna see out in the lobby is the, the welcome station decorated in Christmas stuff. We're asking you to sign up now to help do Christmas here at Hope. The Christmas tree lighting and the Christmas Eve services, we can only do that together, we, together. It's not for just a few people. All of us get a chance to participate. We're doing this really well in Mount Laurel. Um, you know, Mount Laurel is connecting with people in Mount Laurel in really significant ways. This, yesterday, they were at the, um, uh, the fair, the, the um, fall festival, uh, Mount Laurel Fall Festival. Thousands of people come. Our, our team was there. Our worship team was there playing secular music, you know, doing it great uh, to connect with people. We had a booth there. Uh, we found out a couple of years ago when we first started doing this that there's as many dogs as people who come to this thing. So last year we set up a watering station for the dogs. And what we heard from people with big dogs is, oh, my dog can't drink out of that because bending down that much hurts its neck. So we built a multi-tiered <laughs> watering system for dogs. I can't wait to hear how it went. We're hot among the dogs of Mount Laurel. Finding common ground. That's Paul's approach. What was Paul's motivation? What was Paul's motivation? Paul's motivation was, I want to share the gospel with people. I want to offer them the gospel and share in its blessing. That was his motivation. What's the gospel? The gospel, the good news. The Greek is euangelion that we translate gospel that literally means good news. What's the good news? The good news is simply this, that the God who created every one of us knows us intimately and desires to be in relationship with us and that every one of us falls short of God's standard. Every one of us sins. Now, people don't like that word. They don't really know what it means, but what it really means is the stuff in your life that causes you the most pain that does the most damage in your relationship, that stuff is what sin is. And all of us have it. And all of us need to be forgiven. And Jesus came to give us forgiveness. And when we get forgiven, we get a new life. We get a do-over. And God wants to not only give us a new life, but give us an abundant life. And the promise of an eternal life. That's the good news. That was his motivation, to share that good news with people. And then he, he says, and to share in its blessing. What's that mean? I wanna, I wanna offer people the good news and share in its blessing. And I think what that means simply is that when we do things in God's way for God's purposes, God blesses us. You can't outgive God. 
So last week I was in a conversation with one of the guys from uh, the church here. We had gone out for lunch. It was a big lunch week now that I think about it last week. Um, we're out to lunch and he said, you know, I know this is going to sound weird, but he said, since I've, since I've been here, one of the things that, that I've really learned is that when I invest, God really does bless me. When I give my time, when I give my talents, when I give financially, God really does bless me. He said, I know that sounds just so basic, but it's so true. And I said, you know, I know. I said, I, my, my thing is, my fear is that when I share that in a sermon that everybody thinks I'm trying to sell you something. You know, like, I'm not. I'm not trying to get you to sign up so I can fill slots. I want you to sign up because I know that when you give, you get blessed. That's how it works. He experienced it. I've experienced it. I've talked to hundreds of others who experience it. We can't outgive God. Paul experienced it. As he was blessing others with the good news, as he was sharing the good news in all kinds of creative ways in the cultures in which he found himself, he got blessed. And so will you. One last thing before I close out. One of the potential dangers when we engage with the culture is we can get lost in the culture. That we no longer become influencers, but we become the influenced. And we stop, we forget who we are and just kind of get sucked into the culture and now we don't look any different than anybody else in the culture. We don't have anything to offer. How did Paul avoid that? And I think he shares how he avoided that when he says that he obeyed, obeys the law of Christ. He obeys the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Fortunately, the Bible tells us. So John recorded this, the words of Jesus. Jesus said this, this is my command, this is my law. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. The law of Jesus is to love sacrificially. To love sacrificially. I don't know that there's anything more countercultural than that. I think we live in a culture that is so me-oriented, what I want, what I think, what I feel, and that's all that matters. And we're called to a, diver, a different kind of understanding of love, a love that says, I want the best for you. I want the best for you. And I want to help make that happen in whatever way I can. And when we have that kind of connection to Jesus, we can go into a culture, whatever that culture is, find common ground with people because people are people are people. And we have something of value to bring into their lives. So we're going to close out and uh, let you go out and check out the lobby and you know 
I know that you guys are motivated with, by higher things and want to do great things and want to bless our community and you're going to go check that out. I know, know that that's what's motivating you, but just as a little extra incentive, we've got Krispy Kreme donuts <laughs> at every station, right? And here's the good news. Bathing suit weather is over, <laughs> right? No more worried about the beach, you know, like you can have a donut and you'll work it off in the next eight months. All right? So let's stand together. Lord God, thank you for your church, for calling us to be salt and light to the world, to be influencers for Christ, to bring good news of great joy to all people and to speak it in ways that they can hear it and respond. I thank you for a church that takes that seriously and for people like the folks in this room who want to be a part of that as well. Bless them, bless us as we seek to be a blessing to others. And all praise, honor, and glory is yours, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people agreed and said, amen.